Well, hello there. Here we are, my friend, back for another awesome episode of Love Someone with Delilah, where my aim, our aim, is to inspire you, to inspire you to act upon that whisper in your heart, that little voice that's telling you to do something, do anything about a situation that has piqued your interest that has touched your heart, your soul. It doesn't have to be a world crisis. It doesn't have to be a national issue. It doesn't have to be a state or citywide problem. could be something in your neighborhood. could be something at the end of your street. It could be cleaning up an empty lot that's in your area. It just has to be something that will bless the life of one other person, one heart, that will have a positive and profound impact on the world. Who knows what the ripple effect of that single action that you undertake, who knows what that might be. Years ago, more than four decades ago, two men, two brothers, Jerome Kanegi and Steve Kanegi, saw something in a young girl standing on a stage reciting the Gettysburg Address, four score, And seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. They heard this young girl, junior high school girl, reciting that, and they said, let's let's talk to her folks. Let's find out if she would be interested in learning about radio. And because they took actions that changed that young girl's life and gave her a safe haven, a place to show off, a place to develop her talent, that young girl is now talking to you. And because of that, I've been able to meet so many amazing people and interview so many wonderful people on so many topics because of that simple action that Jerome Kanegi and Steve Kanegi took, that chance that they took on investing their energy into me. I truly believe that every time we touch a single heart, that gesture will be ever-widening, ever-encompassing, spreading love to the furthest reaches of the globe, creating moments and movements of joy and hope, because that's what love does. Today's guest is a friend of mine, a person I actually tracked down. I hate to use the term stalked, but it kind of applies. I ran across a promotion for a documentary late one evening, a weird little indie movie that was going to be playing in a small theater in my little town the next day. I don't know how it came up in my social media feed, but it did. And I called some friends and I went to see this little indie movie, this documentary called The If Project, I-F, The If Project. It was started, birthed by Seattle police detective Kim Baguki. She is the co-founder of the IF Project, and it's affecting youth. It is transforming lives in a very real way, the IF Project. If you check out their website, www.theifproject.com, you will find this description. We are a collaboration of law enforcement, 
currently and previously incarcerated adults and community partners focused on intervention, prevention, and reduction in incarceration. Our work is built upon and inspired by people sharing their personal experiences surrounding the issues of incarceration. That project was based on this simple question. If there was something someone could have said or done that would have changed the path that led you here, here being in prison, what would it have been? It is so awesome that I have Kim in the studio with me today. But before we get started, I got to take a minute here to thank the Home Depot for their sponsorship of this podcast. Every month, the Home Depot holds something called a do-it-herself workshop. It's always on the third Thursday of each month at half past 6 p.m. You can set your watch to it. More importantly, you can learn so much from attending these free workshops. If you are intimidated by power tools, if you walk out in the garage and or the shed and, and you have no idea how to use that drill or how to change a drill bit or, or you just get intimidated at the thought of using a hammer and nail, guess what? The Home Depot's do-it-herself workshops teach you how to do all those things. You can learn to use tools. You can learn how to put different colors together when you're painting. You can feel so empowered after visiting several of these workshops. I love them. The do-it-herself workshop, the Home Depot, more saving, more doing. With me in the studio today uh, for our podcast is, I think dynamic is the best word to describe you, Kim. <laughs> you are always... Uh, you're always connecting people and pieces together. You're like a you're like a weaver, you know, mm. a, an artist that weaves things together. And you're always, whenever I'm around you, you're weaving elements and people together to make the world a better place. Thank you. It, it's like in Africa when I go there, there are these people that weave the kente cloth, you know, the famous mm -hmm. African West African kente cloth. And to watch him is to watch a dancer. It's amazing the way their hands and their feet work together in this beautiful rhythm. And the kente cloth tells a story. If you know how to read the kente cloth, you can read a tribe's history. You can read about somebody's marriage woven in the cloth. Oh, wow. And in the same way, you weave this story, you weave this cloth of lives together. And it's fun to be a part of that. And it's fun to watch you. Thank you. You're amazing. So, Kim, you uh, you are now a friend, but I, I had to work hard for this friendship. <laughs> That's the funniest story ever. It is. It, it was very, very weird. Uh, <laughs> I, I was on social media one night after my show, and something popped up about a movie called The If Project. And I don't know how that ad got there. I don't know how I saw it. I don't know why it piqued my interest, but it was this little indie movie that was showing in my little town at this funky, weird little theater that's been closed and open and closed and open and closed and flooded and closed and open. And, and it was showing the next day in the middle of the day, like at noon or something crazy. Right. And so I called my girlfriends and I said, I saw this ad for this movie. Who wants to go? 
And like half a dozen of them said, I'm in, which is really weird because they all have lives and careers and families. So we show up at this theater and watch this profound movie called The If Project. And it broke. The movie broke. The reel <laughs> broke in the theater like two or three times. Just like in the, you know, 50s where it like melts on the screen. Oh yeah, it was, I don't know what it was, what was going on. But, and I never did get to see the end of it then. But that little movie changed me. It changed my heart. And it opened, I want to say opened my heart to realities that I think that I knew about, but it only scratched the surface of. Right. And came home, did my radio show, looked up the movie online, and found your name connected to it. And then <laughs> you Facebook messengered me like four or five times. Like a dozen times. <laughs> and I, I don't get to those messages often, but it was kind of funny. I... You go ahead and finish telling the story because I'll start. Gra- I, I will. I'll laugh uncontrollably. So I, I messaged you and I said I saw this little movie today and your name's attached to it and I'd like to learn more about the If Project. Nothing. <laughs> no response. Nothing. So I wait a few days and first off, I want to see the end of the movie <laughs> and I couldn't find it anywhere. It wasn't at the time. It wasn't available online anywhere. Right. So now I'm kind of getting frustrated and desperate. And so I'm writing you again. Hello, it's me, Delilah. Wrote you the other day. <laughs> kind of wondering if I can learn more about this if project. Nothing. Crickets. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, how long was it before you finally decided to answer me? I think I answered you like on the third. Third uh, or fourth yeah, attempt. Yeah, and I, and I feel bad because I don't often get on those um, social media responses um, especially if they're just mess- private messenger. And I said, oh, it's really nice. And I think I told you to go check the website out. Like I had no idea who you were. And then yeah, you did. You were very polite. Go look at our website, <laughs> learn more information. And then I wrote back and I said, well, I, I think I could help the IF project maybe get the word out there. And you're like, how could you help? Yeah. And then you said, oh, well, you know, I have a I have a radio show and I would just be interested in learning more. And I had this vision. <laughs> of you I think you might have said I had this vision of you like holed up in a um, basement which I am doing this I don't know radio show for five people or something <laughs> you think I, I'm some internet no, broadcaster I don't know with what, a fan base of seven no I, I don't know what it was and I was it was, and then you're like no I have like 220 syndicated shows in the US like after we'd had a, and I was like literally like Mike dropped for a second and was like, the Delilah. That's what you wrote back, the Delilah. I think that was my only response. And when you were like, yes, then I started just cracking up and was intensely embarrassed (laughs) that I had been like, oh no, just go to our website and had this vision of you holed up with like 12 cats doing some broadcast in your basement. (laughs) And now that you've been to my basement and seen my 12 cats, you see that's not far from true. I know, it's like, exactly. But... Once we connected and I got to know you personally, I was even more impressed than I was just watching the movie because you're the real deal. You don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk. And um, I really want to, how can people, first off, anybody listening right now, find the movie, the entire movie, The If Project? So it's up on iTunes and it's just The If Project documentary. And it's wonderful. Yeah. 
How many years did it take from, from the beginning to the end? Oh, wow. Well, If was born in 2008, and we filmed for seven and a half years before the documentary was finished. Catherine Horan, the um, producer and co-founder, we we were just going to film for a year and do a youth education piece, which we do have that as well um, in part of our programming. Um, and she just kept rolling film for seven and a half years because the stories just kept, you know, blossoming and opening up. And we got connected to some of the principals and you know, players in the movie really a lot. And some of them were going to be getting out. And so it just was an amazing seven and a half years of filming. I think we have like 130 hours in the can that she distilled down to 88 minutes. That's incredible. I would love to see some of the other hours because oh I know gosh. the 88 minutes she picked were so powerful. Thank you. Hold on just a second, Kim. I am going to uncuff you from the studio mic for a second so you can go get a drink of water because there is so, so, so much more you need to tell me after we come back from hearing more from folks that make this podcast possible. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Please welcome, I, I wish you could give her a round of applause, Kim Baguki, co-founder of The If Project. Thank you. Start at the beginning, Kim, about The If Project. You've been a police officer for how many years? 31 years. 31 years. And you were going into the women's prison to mentor to what? No, I um, was involved in a program called the West Side Story Project. And it got international attention because we actually used West Side Story, Broadway theater, and police to reach out to youth to 
have discussion around, you know, using the vignettes when you're jet, your jet to talk about gang violence, um, Officer Krupke to talk about the juvenile justice system, you know, a couple things like that. And so Girl Scouts Beyond Bars, which is a great program. I, that's why I like to buy the cookies. Um, they have. Wait, wait, stop right there. I got to say, Girl Scouts Beyond Bars is where young girls join scouting when their moms are incarcerated. Yes. They get to go in and spend time with mom doing projects, earning badges. Didn't I hear they had a camp, uh, a sleepover or a camp yeah, out? I, I, I've spent the night in prison. One yeah, night, yes. With the Girl Scouts. Yep. That is exactly. so cool. No, that, is, that is one program. of those small little pieces, but life changing. Yeah, and I think the thing for me is is when they said, this is who we are and what we'd like you to do, would you work with our girls with the you know, similar format that we did with West Side Story? I was like, absolutely, because what they were doing is they were continuing family unification which I knew was going to be critically important for those girls when dealing with, you know, having a, a parent that's incarcerated. And I said, absolutely, I'll go in, but I'm absolutely, I'll work with you, the girls, but I want to go in and ask the mother's permission because I knew that those mothers were going to be calling home and I didn't want their child to go, oh, the police were at troop meeting today and have the mom freak out about what I would have potentially or what the police would have potentially said to the child about their mother because their mother was incarcerated. So I went down to... WCCW, Washington Correction Center for Women, back in March of 2008. And said? I said, hey, and they said, you know, arms crossed, sitting back, what do you, basically, what do you, it was very chilly in the room, let's just put it that way. But I think the thing that happened even before I started talking with them is I had some really intense misperceptions of what somebody that was incarcerated acted like, looked like, talked like. You know, for 20 years I'd been putting people in handcuffs not realizing the story behind or the person behind those handcuffs. And when I went into the prison, I was super nervous. And I often say, you know, I felt like I was going to get shanked because I'd been watching way too much, you know, reality TV, which since then I don't watch that stuff. But, you know, I had to do a gut check when I walked in the door because these women just looked like people I would hang out with, not, I often say, that I had remembered arresting for 20 years. So I had to, you know, I had been in community policing and thought, you know, oh, I know all this. And I walked in and I was like, wow, I am... I still have a lot of work to do with my biases and prejudices that I had no idea I had. And they really opened my eyes to that in that split second. And then the conversation absolutely was chilly because I, I represented police so, officers who had put them in jail. Yeah. In last time they saw us, they were probably getting taken away from their kids. Yeah. So, and so then I asked the question. You if, asked the question that has become life changing for thousands, probably tens of thousands of people. And it birthed the IF project, which is... If there was something somebody could have said or done to change the path that led you here, what would it have been? So you asked that question to the women in prison, and one of them took the challenge. She did, and I think what's important is I didn't ask that question to sit here 11 years later. I asked the question to continue dialogue. And you asked the question because you sincerely wanted to know. Yeah. And But what happened, which is in the, in the movie, which I just love, Renata, who is a hot ticket, mm-hmm sassy pants yep. and hated you <laughs> hated the police hated the police not you personally but what you represented and she was very honest about that in the movie because yep. she had been raised to not trust police officers and to hate people in authority mm-hmm. she took that challenge and ran with it yep she actually asked the women to write the answer down to give to me so that we could share those answers and children would not, their children or other children would not have to follow in their footsteps to prison. And completely she, selfless. She wrote it down, and in the movie, it, they it, it, they show 
her handing you this stack of papers. Yeah. And there was the answer. Yeah. There was the answer to the question, which wasn't a sentence, but page after page after page. And, uh, and then the if project began and I love that you brought in tutors to help the women who hadn't gotten an education to be able to write out their answer. I love that you brought in counselors who helped them to tap into the answer. Yeah. Um, cause nobody wakes up one day and goes, I think I want to go to prison. I think I want to become, you know, a drug dealer. I think I want to kill somebody. Yeah. in a bad drug deal. Nobody wakes up one day and suddenly chooses that path. No. Namber Flame, um, she's now our um, director of reentry and programming. She helped write the writing workshop with a lot of her expertise in mind on how to get somebody to the place to be able to answer that question. And we've had women go through that writing workshop because that's what cr- was created out of it eight or nine times and keep going just a little bit, a little bit more, a little, a little bit, bit further deeper. back, a little bit deeper. Yeah, it's been it's been transformational. How many uh, different prisons now is the IF project in? Do you have any idea? I think probably um, we're just in the process of getting it in the state of California in all of four women's prisons. There's significantly less women's prisons in the country. I visited Connecticut last week. We've done some work in um, Colorado. We've been in all but four. But you're in men's prisons now, too. We've done writing workshops in men's prisons. Most of our programming... We have really focused on females because I really do believe with the things that we've learned that they are the gatekeepers for us to understand and end mass incarceration in our country. Because 85% of women that are incarcerated are mothers. So just think about well, that Say that one second. more time. 85% of women that are incarcerated are mothers. And if you are a child of a mom who's made bad choices and is incarcerated, where do you end up? Well, we there's not... in. You know, the data isn't give us exact numbers, but your risk for dropping out of school, juvenile delinquency, following in a parent's footstep, experiencing poverty is much higher than a child that actually has one or two parents at home. So we know that that potentially is our next generation of incarceration. And not to discount uh, having a father incarcerated or, or anything like that, but usually, especially when a woman gets out of prison, it's like, here's your kids. When a guy gets out of prison, it's not necessarily the same thing. So there's so much going on for future generations and legacy of incarceration with females. So a woman goes to prison five, six, seven, eight years, gets out, here's your kid, and there's been no relationship established or continued. Well, that's why that's why it's important um, for family unification programming. That's why Girl Scouts Beyond Bars, stuff like that is important. And also, while they're in prison, the sad part is sometimes it is that interruption where they realize, oh, I can go to school and get an education, which means when they get out, they actually can make more money to support a family and not have to make bad decisions or get into bad relationships in order to continue raising their children and not end up back in poverty again. Poverty is the number one indicator in the world for incarceration and in this country as well. So if you're raised in poverty, if your parents are impoverished, one or both, your chances of ending up incarcerated are higher. How much higher? Or your, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the statistical numbers, but your parents are as well. Because what happens is you can, you end up in survival mode. You and I would do the same thing. If we needed to survive, what would you do to take care of your kids? And sometimes some of the, um, who says I haven't already, (laughs) honestly, I'll be real honest here there, but for the grace of God, go I, because when I was younger, 
my addiction was to abuse of men. I tried to fix men who didn't want to be fixed. And I, I watched the movie and I related to so many women that were incarcerated because just like me, they fell in love with somebody who didn't want to be fixed, only they didn't see the off-ramp to get out of that relationship. Yep. You know, I was so fortunate and so blessed with my first marriage that when my son was born, my son was the off-ramp. I said, I cannot put him through this. Had, he, had I not had a child, who knows what choices I may have made because I was involved with somebody who was addicted. Right. I, I didn't have a chemical dependency. I had a dependency upon someone who did. Well, the interesting thing, too, that we um, don't take a look at, I don't think nearly enough in this country, is being gender responsive, meaning when we're dealing in the incarceration world, women have very different needs in corrections and even in the criminal justice system than men do. And the four factors that lead women to incarceration, and none of these, these top four lead men to incarceration. They're completely different. Unhealthy relationships, number ding, one. Ding, 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 ding. Chemical dependency issue. Number two. Anxious, depressive symptom. And they also are saying that about 80% of women incarcerated have a diagnosable mental health illness. That's new. Shocker. New um, World Health Organization came out with that. And then socioeconomic marginality. Well, duh, women get Poverty. paid. Yeah, and women get paid less than men. So if you think about that factor in itself, a woman gets arrested or ends up in prison or needs to bail out. They don't have the money to get themselves out of prison and their children suffer. So the collateral consequences for putting a woman in prison are significantly different than putting a man in prison. Again, not dis discounting you know males that are incarcerated, especially ones that are fathers, but it really does affect Women are affected differently, and we need to be dealing with them and doing programming and really understanding them much differently. And, you know, back to your, you know, earlier thing, one in three people in our country now have a record. Think about that. So, you know, and, and when you said I came that close, like, to making a bad choice, there's people doing 5, 10, 15, 20 years from that millisecond of making a bad choice. A bad choice. I got a, there was a kid at Denny Detention Facility, 15 years old, I'll never forget this, very first time he'd been incarcerated, and we were up there doing our youth program. And he said, Kim, I really wish somebody would have told me 10 seconds would cost me 10 years. 15 years old, he's going to do 10 years. Not, and let me be very clear, not discounting what he did and exactly. the victims out there, but trying to, you know, part of If's thing is, what led you, what was the path? or the reasons that led you to actually taking action to the incident that led to your incarceration. If we can understand the pathways that lead to incarceration and figure out where those need to be healed up or shored up or more resources put towards, then you know, our hope is that we have less violence, less victims, and we can understand what actually leads somebody to incarceration, not the immediacy around the crime. It's what actually built that, that road that led there. And sometimes it is literally a bad choice. A lot of times it is a bad choice. One or, bad choice. Or a series of small bad choices that leads to a big bad choice. Right. You know, when I was a teenager, my girlfriends and I helped ourselves to Dee Dee's mom's car and went to the beach <laughs> at night yep. and ran out of gas, thank God. And a very nice police officer escorted us home. But take that into a big city, take that into an environment where our, their folks weren't waiting at the door for them and giving them a lesson. And those little choices add up to one big choice 
that leads to incarceration or death. And exactly. And there's a, there's an expense to incarceration. I mean, there's our tax dollars in most states is what pays for people to be incarcerated. So, you know, one of the hardest things when somebody gets out of prison is to find housing or a job. So lots of times people, you know, when they get caught up in that, you know, lock them up and kind of throw away the key mentality. I'm like, well, how do you want your money spent? Do you want your dollars, your tax dollars spent on keeping somebody locked up and not prepared to come home? Or do you want to offer them an opportunity when they get out to get a job so that you're actually writing a check for them to put back into the economy and the system as opposed to writing tax checks to keep them incarcerated? And like you said, if 85 or 87 percent of women locked up are moms, you're also paying for foster care. You're also paying for the damage that will be done when the children drop out of high school, yep. drop, you know, and don't make it. So there's a financial tag associated to all that. Yep. And it's a, it's an emotional tag. I mean, the number one answer to the IF project, and we probably have over 3,000 um, from women, men, and juveniles that are incarcerated, is no positive adult role model. Not feeling like somebody go was... Go back, actually- go back, go back, go back. Okay, so say the, state the question again, what the IF project is founded on. If there was something somebody could have said or done... To change the path that led you here, what would it have been? If somebody could have said something, done something, and the answer to over 3,000 of those questions The number is, one answer is no positive adult role model. So no, no adult said, I love you. I care. What do you need? You're worth it. Yep. I'm so blessed when I think about how many times my mom told me, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, I couldn't count them, that she loved me. Yeah the worth of that. Mm -hmm. I try to tell my kids every single day before they leave the house. I say, I love you. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Put your gadget down. Look at me. I love you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, um, I think it's interesting these days too, because we are seeing kids. I feel like disconnected in knowing how to socially interact eye to eye, heart to heart. You know, they're on their phones, texting and emojis and all these kinds of things that are misconstrued. Social media. And, you know, we're a part of it. I mean, that's how we get our message out too. But like, we also are like, okay, when's the last time you sat down with your kid, phones away, yours as well, get off, you know, working so you can get the 55 inch square, you know, TV or whatever, and sit and have a talk with your children. Because if we lose the ability to communicate and these kids lose the ability to communicate eye to eye and heart to heart, I think we're headed for some really interesting, bad and sad times because there's a disconnection that will occur. It is occurring. Yep. It is occurring. That People say, Delilah, you've been hosting your radio show so many years. What's the biggest change you have seen in your callers? And even though we have more ways, more technology to connect, my listeners, my callers are lonelier and feel more isolated than ever before in all the years I've been doing this show. That's the common thread that runs out through so many calls, a a deep longing for connection and to feel like you belong. Yep, exactly. Don't you think that's why, I think that's why gangs flourish. That's what kids will tell us. That's what people will tell us. If you're not getting it at home, you know, oftentimes too, I'll look at parents and go, you know, where is your kid? Because if you're not there mentoring your kid or being a parent, your kid is going to go learn from somebody else, from somebody else. And who is that person they're learning from? And if you're not there, I mean, it is really sad and tragic sometimes when we have kids that are, they're born into the life, Yeah, you know, and it's, how do you get them to see something different an opportunity, you know, and 
think out of the box and dream bigger than the neighborhood they grew up in. That's why uh, that's why Point Hope was born. You know, we want to be a voice for forgotten children. We want to be the voice that says, I love you. There's a better way. Yeah. Before they age out, before they hit the street, before they end up incarcerated, before they end up in poverty, we want to be that voice to say, you have great worth. Oh, and thank God you're there doing that, Delilah. I mean, that's important. You know, back to what you talked about, people feeling lonely. I mean, I don't know how long you've been on the air. A, a longer than a you've long- been a cop. Okay, so we'll just... <laughs> and you look fabulous, by the way. Thank you. Um, but it's true, like, I'm certain, because I remember, and I have listened to you for years, there is a connection that you give people, which is rare as well, from the airwaves, not even the eye You don't need it. It's your voice. It's something that's, if you think about how long you've been on, it's permeated in most of our systems to know that we're loved even by somebody or we can connect to somebody over the air with this show that you have that we're not used to having. That doesn't exist anymore. It there's needs the, to. It's it, the next person, the next thing. I mean, we're, we're on to like, there's no consistency. So I, I just want to thank you for always being consistent and being there for people professionally and personally. Thank you. My husband said the other day we took how many kids, eight kids, nine kids on a road trip. Last year there was like 17 so this year was much more mellow. <laughs> and he looked at me, he says, is there ever going to come a day that we just go away, the two of us, without children in tow? And I said, well, we need to do that for us to refinish our, bat- you know, recharge our batteries. We de- do need to set aside time for that. But I said, as far as the epic road trips go, no, because there is all there are always going to be children who need to be mentored and loved and like you said, if they're not getting it from home, where are they getting it? And they will remember those experiences when they get older, and hopefully they will do that with their children as well and get off in front of the TV and the screen time and actually go see our country or another go country. Hike. Get in the woods. Go wood. play in the water. Get go out in the get woods. Get out of the city. Yeah. Go look at a tree that's, you know, 600, 700, 1,000 years old. I was out at the, um, this place that I just got, and it was super quiet. It's out. It's about 45 minutes from the city. And I, some dirt had just been tilled under, and I forgot what dirt smelled like. And I remember just sitting there, and it just had rained a little bit, and it was like, oh, my gosh. Like, there are some kids that don't even have that experience. They have concrete jungles that they grow up in. How do we get them to think out of those neighborhoods? Well, we get them involved with scouting, or we get them involved with Point Hope, or we get them involved with something. If somebody is, is listening to this podcast, Kim, and they want to get involved with the IF Project... If somebody says, you know what, my my older brother went to prison or I have a, an aunt that spent time in prison or my daughter is doing heroin right now and she's on that trajectory to go to prison. If somebody is listening and says, I don't know what I can do, what can I do? Well, I How say, can they get involved with the IF Project and what can they do? Well, don't Facebook messenger me because I probably won't answer <laughs> But, um, I mean, I think... I didn't see this Oprah. Kim, hi, I just saw your movie. (laughs) Like to help you out, Oprah. Yeah. Um, I I do think go to the website and see what we're doing. I think there is a significant importance when you're working with people because we're not in every state. We're doing, you know, it's interesting. We're doing some work in Tennessee right now. There's Officer Officer Lamb and Officer Enright are doing amazing work uh, in Murfreesboro. And I 
you know, I've been communicating with one of the people they're working with. And, and thank God there's officers out there that want to do this kind of work. Um, I so think maybe maybe that's that's something we could appeal to right now. Say if you are in law enforcement, oh. if not you don't even have to be an officer. If you're a judge, if you're a corrections officer and you want to start the IF project in your community. Yep. First off, watch the movie. Yeah, it'll blow your mind and then go to the website and contact us. And I think the thing that, but not private message, Kim. Don't don't do that. <laughs> you can do kimattheifproject.com, but I yeah, the social media stuff. I'm still having a hard time keeping up with. You need but, a teenager. Uh, I know. I, I have do. my teenagers helping me out all the time. I'm I like, have my how, if team. How do I get this picture to go? They're like, oh, geez, mom. Yeah. Yeah. I think my my probably six year old niece could do that. Um, but I would also say, you know, the importance of the if project is realizing people have stories. And when you have, when your story has worth and you feel like you have a voice, you feel like you matter. And we all have stories. And it's really important to understand and listen to people's stories. And I think what's made If successful is that these women and men and juveniles have decided to be brave and tell their story. And in doing so, the connection that is made heart to heart with not just them, but people that maybe haven't been incarcerated, but can relate to, my gosh, my upbringing was like that, or my brother's incarcerated, and that's his story. You know, and the importance of, like, people can change their lives, they can turn around. The reentry work we do, like, we were able to show that, you know, and, and go from, like, when it started to the incarceration to the tipping point of when they decided to change their lives and how they're successful in community. So it's disbanding the the type, the label of felon. Like for me with the if project, I want to disband the label of and perception of police officer. We've, we've we've done some damage in this country, unfortunately, and my profession has. And how do we repair these fractured communities? And part of it is really understanding what's created communities and what's created problems in communities. And we don't do that without understanding the stories that have led to these issues. And so story is it's powerful. Story You've got stories. Powerful. I've got stories, and and that's what I do at night. Is I let people, I give people a place yep. to tell their stories. That's why I'm so happy about our podcast, because we can get in depth and hear more of the story. So another part of the If Project I want to touch on, and I don't know if I'm even allowed to say this. One of the things that I saw as a way to help is to provide opportunities for women as they transition out of incarceration back into the community yes they need jobs yes they need homes yep they need cars they need transportation they need to rebuild from ground zero yep so if you're getting out of prison you can't go apply for a loan on a car or you can't a lot of times even get into an apartment Yep. so after i met you you said you know what there's this woman that's getting out who has a passion for music Yes. She's talented. She's smart. She's creative. She sings in the documentary. She, she, she does sing in the documentary. She lays her beats down. And she's now one of my producers. Yes, she is. And she is wonderful. And there were some people that were a little nervous, I think, about my decision to, to give this person a chance. Thank God my producer, Janie, um, did not hesitate. She did not even hesitate. She's like, I'm all in. I am all in and uh, and I think that that person, I don't know if she's going to stay with us a long time or transition and, and get into what she really wants to do, which is producing and writing and, and singing. But 
I already feel like she's a part of my family, yeah. you know, a part of my heart. And there are so many men and women who need that opportunity. Yep. They need somebody to just give them a chance because truthfully, they end up at times becoming the best employee you will have because you gave them a chance to and nobody else will. And how are we supposed to reduce recidivism, which means you go back to prison in most places within three years? It's at 70%. So think about that. We have 95% of people that are in prison coming home. We have 70% going back in the next three years. It's a billion-dollar business to keep this cycle going. If you get out of prison and you don't have opportunity, back to what we talked about, you will go into what's familiar in order to survive and probably end up back inside, thus creating potentially more victims. It's a, it's a, it's an ugly cycle. It's an ugly cycle. So, and housing is enormous, and a job as well is enormous. And you know that helps build self-esteem. It helps you put money back into the economy. If you're a woman, it helps you take care of your kids, and your kids get to see you turn it around. It's huge. And what you've done for her is enormous. I knew that if she could get in the door, she wasn't going to blow you away. So I am taking great joy in watching this happen. You were so cl- you were so cute. You're like, I, I can't professionally say this, can't encourage this, but I know somebody who really has a lot of talent. Yeah. Well, and-, and I would have done both of those because I knew that we knew her for, she, she grew up with If inside the prison. She's been there with us from the beginning. So it was an easy handoff for me, you know, and I think it's important if people are going to hire somebody, do your due diligence, but this, you know, ban the box is important, but you know, at some point you're going to have to explain what happened. And when you think of also ban the box, does it mean, Oh, they're a felon. There's a lot of different felonies. I don't know the numbers, but it's like hundreds of different felonies. If you can't hire for this, these group of felonies, would you consider hiring for these? I mean, we've got to expand the way that we're getting people back into the workplace and, and how we're welcoming them back home because they serve their time. You know, and there's I still have my issues with some of the offenses that exist out there, you know, um, sex crimes and anything related to children. I, that's the thing that I still have to wrap my head around. But they are coming home and they need to, we need to figure out where they can actually go be. Where they can use their gifts and talents and communities And communities protected if necessary. You know, I, I'm a police officer. You know, we're, we're supposed to serve and protect. And a very good one at that. Thank you. Because <laughs> I handcuffed you earlier, is that why? <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because my husband's former, former police, my son, loves his career as a police officer. And uh, Paul's my husband's second oldest daughter, so my stepdaughter, she and her fiancé are both law enforcement. So we bleed blue. I yeah. mean, it's... We bleed blue. And yet all those people that I just mentioned care about the story, the backstory, maybe too much. I mean, my husband got out of law enforcement because he had to answer a call for a little boy that had been abused by his stepdad and he, he couldn't do it. And he knew he was going to cross a line. Yep. So before he crossed a line, he changed his career. Um, but all of them respect the story and the people i've gone with my son on ride-alongs and he connects (laughs) with the people sitting in the back of his car all the time sings with them and you know laughs with them and jokes with them i think that is the rule not the exception but unfortunately the bad 
the people that don't care about the story and don't care about the person, um, the damage that is done has has hurt everybody. One bad situation, media getting a hold of it, can destroy, you know, decades or years or even a new officer's, you know, first couple of months of the work that they're doing. It yeah. can be devastating. You know, my friend Brandy Carlisle often says, you know, the people that are incarcerated, they were they were kids. They were somebody's children at one point. Like, what happened in the system, and where did we as a system fail those children that they ended up becoming these adults? And I think that that is really, you know, part of what we need to take a hard look at, too, is what is going on in these children's lives in elementary school? You know, we're starting to look at the age 10 now where things are really starting to change. And, we, you know, you've, you raise children. Those four, first five to six years are incredibly important, but... Where are we as adults um, really making sure that the children are taken care of? I talked to uh, a, a woman named Hattie Mitchell who started a project in California called the Crete Institute because ever since she was a kid, she's had a heart for the homeless. But she did her due diligence and she went to college and she did internships and she got jobs in the system because she saw that in order to change the environment or the whole culture, she had to know it from the inside out and she had to change the whole system. So she started this Crete Institute for kids who are homeless, whose parents are homeless, and she doesn't just educate the children, she involves the entire family. And she's gotten it's grants important. and she's gotten support and they help with uh, drug addiction, alcoholism, with uh, finding a safe place to live. She builds community. And now kids who are not homeless are applying, parents are applying for their kids to go to the school. That's awesome. Because the level of education and the level of compassion and community building is is just amazing. And if we could replicate that model throughout the country in every major city, if we could have the Crete school and the IF project we we really could change things. We could turn the tide. We could turn the Titanic around. Yep. But it it's going to take everybody caring and working together. And I think you know, and I think that back to our, our earlier conversation too with technology. I think we're forgetting the we, and we're really stuck in the I. And in, in order to do the work and get it done, it's a lot about collaborating. And it's about sometimes it's working with people you do not want to work with, but they are experts in an area that, that you are not, you know. And if their heart is in the right place, and I think that's really critically important, that somebody's heart needs to be in the right place to do this kind of work. It's not about fame. It's not about newspaper articles. It's not about podcasts. You know, it's not about movies. It's about, like, what can we collectively do to change a world that we are losing a lot of love and compassion in? And, and we see that on a daily basis. And, you know, officers on a daily basis see the worst of the worst 24-7. And while we're seeing the worst of the worst 24-7, we're also getting told that we're doing a bad job. Like there's not a lot of uplifting, yet police officers could be a big part of the change because they're our community. You could have them come in and tell their stories, just standing side by side with somebody that's been homeless. They might have a similar story. And next to somebody that's been incarcerated, similar story. Common denominator, 
We're all human beings. We did a project uh, called Paint the Town that we've done for years. And in one of the communities that we went to, uh, a AA group made up of former prisoners. There is a uh, AA fellowship for mm-hmm. inmates. And when they got out, they continued the fellowship. And so 90% of the people who go to this particular AA fellowship are f- former incarcerated felons. They chose, as part of Paint the Town, we go into a community and paint a downtown section. Oh, wow. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 buildings. And we have partners like Home Depot that donate the paint or um, the green frog tape donates, you know, thousands of miles of frog tape. And it's really cool. But in this one community that we were at, the Prison Fellowship AA group, the former incarcerated AA members, now sober, chose to paint the police department. Oh, wow. (laughs) And the officers showed up to help, too. Yeah. I cried when I stood there watching this community come together, laughing, painting, cracking up, eating barbecue together. I'm like, this is a miracle. Yes. And and that is where you create community. We need more of that and less of this divisive nonsense that you see everywhere you look. Yep, that us and them gap. That I mean, us and them mentality. We got to get rid of that. Yep. And remember, we're all on this planet together. Yep. And, and you know, if, as simple as if we lose the bees, we lose our food. Yep. If we lose each other, we lose mm-hmm. everything. So I want to encourage people to download, to go find the movie The If Project. And to get involved in your community, whatever that looks like. Yes. Kim, thank you. Thank you for having me, Delilah.